Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. So, hey, are you guys like excited for real, honestly? Are you, is anyone, is anyone here? We should probably do this now. We'll just get this out of the way. Is there anyone who's saying, Sam, you know, I'm just not there yet, but I'm hoping that like tonight helps put me over the excitement edge. Anyone just need that tonight? We're, we're a safe place. That's cool. We can be honest. We can be honest, single leader. Um, everybody else though, like this means I'm so ready to go. This means I'm like doubly ready. Like, where are you at on this spectrum? You're like ready to go. All right. It's all right, Elizabeth. We'll get there. We'll get there, sister. It's good. So, um, hey, tonight, tonight we're continuing in our series through the book of Colossians, but I want to invite a very special guest here uh, because we're going to do something special tonight, and so I need a special guest. That's how it works. So my wife, Jordan Destiny, uh, with our son. Can we welcome my wife? (laughs) Notice how they... uh, I, I like how you guys welcomed her because you knew you knew you would have been in trouble if she came up here to silence. So, um, hey, why don't you just in, introduce yourself, my love? Please do. I'm Jordan. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm a woman of many words, if you get to know me enough. Um, yeah, no, we've been here a long time, and I'm excited to, like, continue I don't know, diving into the community and getting to know you more, which is why camp I am most excited for this weekend, because I get to spend every waking hour with you guys. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Jordan you. and I, we've been married, how long have we been married? Six and a half years? Yeah, six and a half. It's just, you know, it's just all beautiful blur, so I lose the number sometimes, but six and a half years, okay? And um, the entirety of our marriage, we've been here at this church serving this community, all right? And so, yes, this weekend is going down. So thank you, Joe. Everybody, thank my of Jordan. Thank you, Jordan. And so here's, here's what I want to do. I feel so, oh, man. Here's, here's, here's what I want to do, all right? Here's what I, my question for you as we get started tonight. I want you to see my wife. I want you to see us both up here together because my question for you is, why are we here? Like, why is Jordan and Sam Cassis here? And like, don't get me wrong. We do this every week. We sing. We're like, right? And we're we're doing the work. And we're here every single week. And I like it. Like, don't get me wrong. This is super cool. But I'm kind of feeling the need tonight to have a little bit of a DTR. Okay? Do you guys know what a DTR is? Means define the relationship. There are times in a person's or in a people's relationship where they need to say, excuse me, like this is cool, but like what are we, right? And so citizens, youth, community of students, community even of leaders, as my wife and I are here celebrating, I'm about to be celebrating seven years of ministry at the end of this school year. My question is, what are we? (laughs) Like, are we even a we? Like, is this, are we an item? Like, am I allowed to like post a picture of you on Instagram and say, I love us? Like, is there an us? 
We need to define the relationship, okay? And so you've heard of boyfriend, girlfriend. You've heard of man, wife. You've, husband, wife, man, woman. You've heard of these different types of relationships. But my question tonight is what's our relationship? <clears throat> we need a DTR. What are we? And so in order to help us define the relationship, in order to help you understand who I am to you, and in order to help me understand who you are to me, we're turning in the next passage of Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, and we're going to DTR this thing. Can we do that? Some of you are like, I don't even want to know what our relationship is because this is weird. Then you're excused, okay? But for the rest of us, my question is like, what are we? Who am I? Who are you? And what are we doing here? So are, can we do that tonight? Anyone want a DTR? You ready? All right, let's do it. Colossians chapter one, starting verse 24. Here we go. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. What we're gonna do, in order to help me define the relationship with you, we're going to look at Paul. We're gonna look at his relationship with the church in Colossae. And the first thing we see here from this passage is that Paul was a man on a mission. Paul was a man on a mission. Hi, Layla. Welcome back. Good to see you. So he's on a mission, right? And unfortunately, what we see here in this passage is that there was a lot of suffering on his mission. How many of y'all know that suffering is rough, right? Anyone know that? You're like, that's part of the definition, Sam. I know, but it just makes it that much more obvious. Suffering is hard. And Paul has had his fair share of suffering. I love how he's supposed to in plural here, sufferings. I've got a lot of suffering going on. And so we, we can think to this common scene. Ladies, I'm going to give you a glimpse into one of the most sacred spaces of a male's existence. I'm going to give you a glimpse into the male locker room. Okay? You're like, ew! No, just trust me, okay? There's a thing that happens in the male locker room, and it's called like bragging, Okay? And so all the dudes are like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. That was like yesterday, yeah. And so there's this thing that happens in the male locker room where we can start to brag about our injuries. You know what I mean? And it's like, you're getting changed and the ladies are like, why would you do that? You just, you wouldn't understand. You're not a dude, okay? And so we do this thing where we're putting on our shirt. We go, oh yeah, see this scar right here? When I was four years old, I got like a new two-wheeler and I took that thing off a homemade ramp. Oh, totally ate it. It was gnarly. And somebody goes, oh Yeah. They roll up their shirt. They go, oh yeah, well, when I was seven, I got a dirt bike and I bought a professional ramp and I took it off the ramp and dude, I just ate it and it was gnarly. And they're like, oh. And like, they're literally competing. Well, look at my scar. It's like from my belly button to the back of my tailbone over my head. And I jumped through a window backwards. You know, and it's just like, gnarly, you know? Ladies are like, I have no idea what happens in the male locker room. And it's like, you just wouldn't understand. And so imagine dudes showing off scars, showing off all these battle wounds, and then like, they're like, yeah, gnarly, gnarly. And then Paul walks in, they're like, yeah, never mind. Like Paul walks into the room, and they immediately stop playing this game because they know, oh, here comes Paul. Nobody can beat up Paul, or nobody can beat Paul, right? 
Because they're like, yeah, gnarly. I like jumped through a window. He's like, oh yeah, well a mob was chasing me and they were gonna destroy me. And so I was lowered through a basket out of a window. And they're like, we get it, you know? They're like, oh, look at this scar. Once I was like really cold. And so like, I got like a permanent goosebump. He's like, I was left at sea, shipwrecked in the cold for three days and two nights. And they're like, gnarly, you know? He starts just going off about all his sufferings. He says here in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says, I was beat to within an inch of my life. I was pelted with stones. I was chased out of cities. I was lowered through windows and baskets. I was left abandoned and naked. I was put into prison. I was left without food or water. I was attacked by bandits. I was shipwrecked at sea. I was left out in the cold. And everybody goes, we get it, Paul. And he says, on top of all of that, one of the most intense sufferings of everything, doesn't even have a scar. The most difficult suffering I experienced was the concern and the burden for your welfare. And so Paul's describing, he has all of these sufferings in mind. And there comes a point in the locker room where people stop saying gnarly. People stop saying, dude, that's super cool. People just start looking at him, they go, bro, why the heck are you even doing this? This is beyond cool. Like, what, what's your problem? Why are you even doing this? And here's the answer, students. Because when you suffer with a purpose, you can endure. When you suffer and there's a purpose, when there is a point, when there is a goal, you can endure the suffering. You can even at times embrace the suffering because of what it leads to. And so Paul, he's experiencing all of this suffering, but there's a purpose. Think of it like this. You're like, why would you ever suffer? Think of it like a gym, right? How many people know that when you go to the gym, you suffer, right? You're like, I can't even lift my arm. That's because you're 12 and you're lifting way too heavy. It's all about technique, okay? Trust me. But you go to a gym and you walk in there and your muscles are suffering. Your time is suffering, right? Your mind is suffering. I remember I walked through the gym and I saw like a grown man in the corner and he was just sobbing and heaving and throwing up. How many of you know that dude was emotionally suffering? And yet people willingly embrace this type of suffering because there's a purpose, because there is a result on the other side of the suffering that makes it worth it. And so you endure the suffering. You may even embrace it. May I dare even say you rejoice in the suffering. You're like, feel the burn. Oh, I can't move my arms or my legs. I love this feeling, right? Why would you rejoice in your suffering? Because of what's on the other end of it. And so in the same way here, students, Paul is suffering, but there's a result. There's a purpose. There is a goal. And so therefore he can say he rejoices even in his sufferings. He rejoices. He endures the beatings, the stonings, the, the abandonments, the shipwrecks, the, the starvation, all of those things. Why? Like when I suffer at the gym, I know the goal on the other side of the workout, it's this bod, right? Like I'm yoked and you don't get a body like this easily. You, never mind. So what's Paul's goal? What is the point of on the other side of the suffering? And look what he says here, it's beautiful. I'm enduring all of this for your 
sake. I'm enduring all of the suffering. I'm experiencing this hardship for the sake of his body, that is the church. I'm willing to experience this because there is ultimately something beautiful on the other side of this suffering mountain. And it's you. It's the fact that you are being built up. It's the fact that you are growing into maturity. All of my suffering, I am willing to do it because I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Jesus came and he suffered for your sake. Jesus suffered for your sake so that you could be built up, so that you can become mature and grow in godliness and be presented one day. But the job's not done yet. You're not perfect yet. You have not achieved glorification yet. And so Paul is saying, I'm willing to experience this suffering as well because I'm contributing to the work that remains, namely you. This is a man on a mission. And I love this verse here. I take, this is like, for those of you that, none of you know this. None of you know this. I'll tell you, this passage tonight is actually one of my life verses. It's like, a, it's one of my life passages because I take so much meaning from this, which we'll get to by the end here. But what I realize when I read this, I go, Lord, that's why I, that's why my wife and I are doing what we do. It's for your sake, citizens. Sam and Jordan Cassis, we do hard things for your sake. We have long nights for your sake. We have difficult conversations with you and each and every single one of you, you know what I'm talking about. You go, yeah, we've had difficult conversations for your sake. We struggle in prayer, praying for this community for your sake. That's why we're here. Like Paul is a man on a mission. I'm a man on a mission, it may include suffering at times, but it's for your sake. So we rejoice, we rejoice. And so why would Paul put this on himself? Why would any leader in their right mind, like maybe you're looking at me right now and you're like, Sam, why would you do that? That is heavy, that is hard. Why would you sign up for that? Did you like wake up one day, Sam, and have some entrepreneurial spirit and say, you know what? I have a great venture idea. I should become a pastor. Did I sign up for this? Is this a startup idea? No. (laughs) No, there was 50% chance, Caleb. You missed it. No. Actually, this is not my idea. Actually, this is not just for fun. There's a reason why people like me, there's a reason why people like Paul are doing this. And look why. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. You see, friends, this position right here up front, this is not a sign up. This was not a startup venture. This was a stewardship. A st- Everybody say stewardship. This is one of those words that you just drop that casually in conversation. It makes you feel smart. It's especially funny when you have no idea if it's the right context, but you drop it in there anyway. Hey, yesterday I was walking around the stewardship and I just had the craziest idea, you know? Like, just do that. You should use big words in the wrong context. It will just like make people like fear you, you know? (laughs) What do you think I do? (laughs) I'm like, have you ever experienced the temerity of tomato sauce? It's beautiful. That doesn't mean anything. It really doesn't. So you can use that word or if you think that's dumb, I'll explain what it means, right? (laughs) Somebody's like, thank you. Thank you. Here's what stewardship means. 
Stewardship is to be entrusted with the responsibility to care for something. To be entrusted with the responsibility to care for something. So let me give you an example. You met my wife. Uh, let me introduce you to my children. So this, this is Everett. Everybody say, aw, aw, very good, okay. That's Everett, he just turned one years old. He's mine, okay. He's my child. I have my firstborn, he's a little bit older. This is Micah, okay. Everybody say, aw. It's actually, if I'm being more correct, this is Micah during the day, okay. This is Micah by day. This is Micah by night, okay. Also known as Blue Steel, Blue Steel also known as okay. And so these are my children. These are my sons. Whose are they? Thank you. I thought you were going to say mine. We were going to have a problem. These are mine, okay? But let me, let me explain something, though. If in the unfortunate incident that my wife and I died, okay? If my wife and I were on a plane going to Hawaii, and we were like, we're leaving our kids behind, and then the plane crashes, and everybody's like, joke's on you, you know, something like that. I would have to, you're like, that's so dark. I would have to give stewardship to someone of my children, okay? I would have to make, let's, let's say Hayden, right? Because Hayden is super responsible and very mature. So I would say, Hayden, I am making you the steward of my children. They are your responsibility. This is your, I, I can't even joke about that. That's so terrifying, right? <laughs> I would tell someone, hopefully like a mom with seven kids and she always has room in her heart for more. Hey, this is your stewardship. This is your responsibility. This is your assignment. You have received stewardship for my children. Okay, everybody say stewardship. Pass the stewardship, please. Nope, that's not correct, okay? And so you would receive stewardship for my children. Paul has received stewardship from God. Paul has been given a responsibility from God, but it's not for my children. It's not for Sam Cassis' children. It's not for Jordan Cassis' children. He's been given stewardship of God's children. He says here, I've received stewardship from God for you. <whistles> Paul has been given a responsibility. Paul has been given an assignment. He's responsible for God's children. He has a responsibility, you could say a mission to lead and to care for God's children. He has a mission to serve the bride of Christ and help get them ready for the wedding day, okay? That's his assignment here. And so how is he gonna carry out that assignment? Well, if I read a lot of books and I try really hard and I follow a podcast and I'm just really, really nice, no, how is Paul going to responsibly carry out his assignment? The answer is always in the text, by making the word of God fully known. This is a man on a mission. And just like Paul, this is my assignment. I'm your youth pastor, I'm here tonight. We're trying to DTR, okay? We're trying to define this relationship. And so first things first, I'm a man on a mission. Like Paul, I have felt a call from God to build up his family, to lead and prepare the bride of Christ, primarily by making the word of God fully known. And so, every week that we come here, we go word by word. We go line by line. We underline it, we highlight it, we kiss it. No, we don't kiss it, we don't do that. 
Like, this is weird. No, we don't do that. But tell you what, we don't skip hard parts. We don't pick and choose what we want to talk about. We have to make the whole thing fully known. You know why? Because I have no options. I'm a man on a mission. I have no choice in the matter. This is what God has called me to do to you. Nice to meet you. I'm a man on a mission. This is the assignment. Pause here. You know, it's actually really cool to think about. What's cool is that there are potentially people in this room right now. Maybe you're a student here. Wow. Oh my gosh. Think about that. Like, what if you're a student here? And like, what if God has called you to do that? Like, like, let's just talk. Like, like the majority of you in this room, your calling in life, God's, God's design and plan for you is to be a Christian working a normal job surrounded by non-Christians and to be a light. That's awesome. That's good. But Sam, what if I really, really love God and I also really, really love people? Should I go into ministry like you? If you love God and you love people, that just means you're a Christian. That's good. That's the majority of you. But there there are some of you who maybe you have a calling on your life similar to mine. And it's not regular Christian, super Christian pastor. No, what? It's different. And so it's cool to think, I don't know, what if like, what if the next youth pastor at Citizens Youth is like sitting in this room right now? What if Mike is youth pastor? He's like one of you. What, what if like the next kids director, you know, like 15 years from now is like one of you. What if some of the future missionaries that are traveling with a Jesus mission over in Hungary and the Dominican Republic and France, like what if some missionaries are, are in this room right now? That's a possibility. God calls people onto this mission of ministry. And so how do you know that? Well, maybe I should do a breakout session at camp about that. But how do you know that? Eventually, you'll feel God's call to serve the church full time. You'll feel a call to devote your entire life to this assignment. Not only will you feel it, but there are those around you who know you very well, who will be able to affirm that and go, dude, I see that, right? So it's important to have other people affirm that. You'll get divine opportunities to see if you're actually gifted at it. And and at the end of the day, only time and the Lord will tell. And so it's just cool to think, this is who I am but I can't help but think how cool it is. Maybe some of you in this room have that calling too. Who knows? We'll see. And so my mission is to make the word of God fully known. What is the message then? What do I need to make fully known? What is the message that God has given me to communicate to you? Maybe the message is this, seven steps for being successful. Maybe the message is this, four steps to being the most well-behaved high schooler. Maybe my message could be this, one easy step to get rich quick, right? Subtitle, live fast, die young, bury me in satin, lay me down in a bed of roses. That'd be a super long subtitle, but it would be dope, okay? What's my message? What is the message that I have been given on this, me- on this mission? It's none of those things. Because all of those things, you can hear those everywhere in our culture. Everyone who's anyone has already written books about that. No, friends. What I'm called to give you, the message that has been placed on me is actually a message that you can only find here. It's actually a message that you can't find out in culture. You can't find it out in the world. You can only find it in the church. 
because it's a message from God himself. Ring. Yes, who is it? It's the Lord. I have a message for them. Okay, I'll put them on. You ready? Look what he says. Next page. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So the first thing we saw was a man on a mission. The second thing we see here is a man with a message, okay? This is a man with a message. Ashton, what is that message? I don't know, Sam, you tell me. I will. Here's the message. It says that it's a mystery. The message is a mystery, or at least it was. It used to be a mystery, but now it's been revealed. The mystery has now been revealed. There was a mystery, friends. You have to understand this. On the, most, on the biggest level of existence, there was a mystery for thousands of years. There was a mystery from the earliest days of humanity. And this was the mystery. How will God save the world from sin? It's a mystery. Thousands of years, people wondered about God's master plan. And you're like, I can't even understand that. Let me explain it to you in a way that you can. How many Harry Potter fans do I have in here? Okay. You're like, Hufflepuff forever. Okay. That's why you're a Hufflepuff. Yep. Gryffindors. Slytherin. Of course you're a Slytherin, bro. Of course you are. All right, so let me, let me explain to you how Harry Potter works. For those of you who are not familiar with the wizarding, wizarding world, when I was a little boy, I think I was probably like fourth grade or something. Maybe it was actually, it was like sixth grade because it was pretty accurate. But they released this book called Harry Potter, right? And so he has, the, so they released this book and from the very first page, from the earliest moments in the book, you meet this character and right off the jump, there's a mystery. From the very beginning, you understand this little boy with a weird scar and no friends is supposed to save the world from the most evil, sinister villain wizard that has ever lived. And so right from the very beginning, this is the mystery. How will Harry save the world from, from you know who? Okay. How will Harry save the world from you know who? And so you get to the end of the book and you have an answer? Nope, because they make you wait a whole year for book number two. So you go to the store, you get out book number two, you're like, all right, I'm gonna find the answer to the mystery. And you read the, the chamber of secrets, you know? Chamber of secrets! You're like Harry Potter. And so you read the whole book and you get to the end and you go, I, I think I missed the answer. And so like you read it in three hours. So you go back to the beginning, you read it again. And you read it again and you go, wait a minute. There was no answer in book number two. And they make you wait a whole other year for book number three. 
So book number three comes out and you grab the book, right? And you're like, I got the answer this time. Surely it's gonna be in here. And you go to the end of book number three and it's still a mystery. And then they go book number four, then book number five, then book number six, then book number seven. There's only seven for those of you who only watch the movies, okay? It's a trap. Two movies, one book at the end. Seven books. They made you wait years upon years upon years to discover the answer to the mystery. And now you are holding the final book in your hands and you start to sweat a little bit, right? <laughs> I was like six years old when this started. Now I'm like 30. Wah! I've been waiting forever. And you just can taste it. You can taste it because the mystery that you have been waiting for, the mystery that you have been pondering for years, you're pages away. You are seconds away from discovering the answer. And you get to, and you're like, you can't even turn the page because your hands are so sweaty. And you turn it and then comes the drop. The moment that the answer is revealed. All of that expectation, all of the waiting, and right here in front of you, the drop, the answer. And what's the answer? Spoiler alert, if you're not a Harry Potter viewer, here's the answer. Through his death. And you sit there and you go, wow. All of those years of waiting, that felt good. In the same way, that you've been waiting for this mystery from page one, you open up the story of human history. And from page one, we are presented with a mystery. From within the garden itself, from the very first tree, we're presented with this mystery. After we mess up paradise, how will God save the world from sin? You waited eight years for Harry Potter and you thought that was crazy? <sighs> You waited eight years for Harry Potter and you thought you were gonna lose your mind? Thousands upon thousands of years, generation after generation, every generation of humanity asking the same question, how is God gonna save us? Where is God's salvation? How will he rescue us from sin? What is going to happen? Is there any hope? How does the story end? And then there's that moment where you get to that page and you have the answer, and it's right in front of you, and in your soul, you feel the drop <sighs> as the mystery is revealed, as the answer becomes clear, and we see the answer to God's mystery is this, through a Christ. How will God save the world from sin? It's through his Christ. You're turning all the pages. And when we get to Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, we feel the drop. And so there's only one thing to do. If that's the answer, then it's him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. Students, we're here tonight not to tell you how to be successful, not to tell you how to be rich, not to tell you how to be cool. We're here tonight to tell you the mystery. We're here tonight to tell you the question and the answer that all of humanity has been asking for thousands of years. We're here tonight to declare and to proclaim to you the question that every single student in America and the world is asking, even if they don't know it yet. Where is salvation? 
How can I ever be saved from this? Is there any hope? And you look at me and you go, well, my friends aren't religious. They're not asking that question. Ask them how they spent their weekend. They're absolutely asking that question. Look how they spend their time. Look what they do with their lives. They are absolutely asking that question. And we have the answer. And so it's him that we proclaim because the message is Jesus Christ. And here's what you gotta understand, students. This message is of infinite value because guess how much your life changed when you found out the answer to Harry Potter? (laughs) Right? You're like, not me. It was everything. (laughs) Like, all right, Harry. Uh, I don't even know her name. What's her name? You got Hermione. I almost said Harrietta, but that's like so... (laughs) So you're like, Harry Potter imposter, right? It's actually, I'm Dumbledore. I don't know, man. Are you a Hufflepuff? No, I'm an adult, okay? (laughs) Dude, you waited seven years for an answer and the answer felt good, right? Like the answer was like, yes, I got the answer. But at the end of the day, it didn't change your life a single bit. You find out the answer to the Harry Potter mystery and you go, man, that's cool. You find out the answer to the God mystery and you go, man, I'm rich. (laughs) You find out the answer to God's mystery and you're like, boy, I am rich. This is of infinite value. And so this is what I'm praying, students. I want you to understand the riches of the glory of this mystery. This mystery, this answer is not for poops and giggles, okay? This answer that we're talking about is not so that you can be enlightened about some abstract idea. We have this answer because in it is riches. There is wealth here. I want you to understand the glory of this mystery, what God has done for you in Jesus Christ changes everything. You Gentiles in here, look at y'all Gentiles, right? Gentiles. That's how I always picture it in my... Never mind. They're not from the South. Maybe they're like from Southern Israel. Dude, if you're from the South and in another country, do you have a draw? Missionaries, answer. Like Southern France is like bonjour and then it's like bonjour, like in the South. Is that how it goes? Okay. So maybe they're from Southern Israel. Maybe that's why I'm thinking that. But here's my thought, right? (laughs) You guys are a mess tonight, man. This is your fault, all right? You Gentiles, who were far away from God, who were not in his family, who had nothing to do with him. You Gentile students who had no hope in this world, who had no spiritual family, who were dead in your sins, who were going to hell. You Gentile students, this answer changes everything because now, because of the Christ, you can be brought near. Now, because of the Christ, you can be brought into the family. And so we declare the rich glorious mystery students. Not only did Jesus Christ move into your neighborhood, not only did he put on flesh, we declare this is Christ in you. Oh, students, you just don't get it. I'm, I'm still praying the brain. I'm like, I just want you to get it. Do you understand the richness of what God has done in Jesus Christ? That you can be near to him, that he moved into you, that he dwells in your midst. God of the universe in you. The supreme Christ who is before all and is in all things and he created everything. Remember last week? The supreme one. Christ in you. This is of infinite value. You who once were hopeless, you now have the hope of glory. 
you, can, you have hope that one day you will experience the glory of eternity. And so this is our message. I hope you're hearing it loud and clear. You're like, what's the message again? I didn't write notes. Um, I'll tell you, Christ, <laughs> okay? That's our message. That's what we're proclaiming. You're like, but what about him? Come to camp, I'll tell you. Come back next week, I'll tell you again. Actually, come back every Wednesday for the rest of your high school career, and I'll tell you every single week. Him we proclaim. But you gotta remember here, students, okay? There's a reason why I'm proclaiming this message, Anna Martin. There's a reason, there's a reason, Miss Paza, that we're having this message, and we can't forget the goal of this message, okay? Look at the goal here. That we may present everyone mature in Christ that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You cannot forget what we talked about last week and understand this book. You must, 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 must remember the wedding day, all right? You're like, ladies are like, how can I forget? God's like, what? He talked about a what? The wedding day, in the same way that my wife spent the entire day getting ready and prepared for her presentation to her groom, God is working in your life to make you holy and blameless and above reproach before him so that you can be presented to your groom, Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're doing this. We're doing this because the wedding day is coming. I gotta get my nails done. Yes, you do, Eleni, okay? Spiritually speaking. We're preparing you for the wedding day. For this, he says, look, for this, I toil. For that day, I'm struggling, I'm sweating, I'm working by God's power, citizens, youth. That's why I am warning and teaching everyone. I love it. You're like, what are you warning me about? It's actually like, it's funny, but it's so true. I'm not simply teaching you the message of Jesus. I'm warning you that there are implications for your life. Warning, you better respond. Warning, those who do not respond to Jesus will not be in his family. Warning, judgment is coming and God will justly judge sin. Warning, everyone still left holding the gun of sin will be judged. This is not just simply an abstract message that you can be smarter. I teach you, but I also warn you. I plead with you. I exhort you. Turn from your idols and worship the living God. We're a man. I'm a man on a mission. I'm a man with a message. That's who I am. Who are you? Man on a mission. A man with a message. Who are you? I just define my side of the relationship, right? I'm putting in my work here. Who are you to me now? If that's who I am to you, who are you to me? A relationship has to have two sides if this is going to be something, okay? So what are we? Let's define the relationship here with our last point, okay? Let's look at the last section here, chapter two. I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. What's God's mystery again? I forget. Somebody help me. Which is Christ, very good, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Students, check it out. Paul, 
Sam Cassis. We are struggling. We are toiling. We are on a mission. We have a message because we want you to be something. We want you to be a community moving toward maturity. This man with a mission and this man with a message wants you to be a community of maturity. Do you understand that they've never seen Paul face to face? Did you guys catch that? Look what he says here, right? For all who have not seen me face to face, and yet he's struggling for them. How do you struggle for someone you've never met? Like, how do you agonize over someone who lives hundreds of miles away? Like right now, I can help Anna. I go, let me help you lift that. I'm struggling with her. You see that? I'm struggling for her. Hey, I'll make your life easier. I'll help you. I'm doing that. You see that? Gym results. Boom. Okay. I don't go to the gym. I really don't. I just do cardio. It's horrific. I know. It's horrible. That's why I look like this. But how do you struggle for someone from long distance? Anyone know? How can we struggle for Christians who are in New York City right now? Who are in France right now? who are in Eritrea right now. How? We pray. That's right. Good job. Good job, Christian. We pray. And so I am proud to present to you the actual, archaeologically dug up, original prayer notebook of the Apostle Paul. We discovered it. I know a guy. He knows a guy. He has a dog who has a friend who goes to the vet of this guy. And we were able to pull this together. And as Paul is praying for the church, as I am praying for the church to become a maturing community, I thought it'd be cool if we look at his prayer notebook. I thought it'd be cool if we end and see how Paul prays for you. You wanna see it? All right. Paul's prayer notebook. See, he even wrote it in the original language. All right, here we go. Look what he says. So I'm struggling, I am praying, and here's what I want to happen. Here's what I want you, Tia, to look like. I want, you, I want to see this result, that your hearts may be encouraged. And so the first thing we see here, Paul is praying, dear Lord, I pray that their hearts would be encouraged. Right? This is his notebook. He was in class. He was like doing like rabbi school. It was rough. He's like, I'm okay, and he did it. You know what my definition of encourage is? Take out your pens. I want you to write this down. It's going to blow your mind. To encourage someone is to put courage in. Everybody say, I don't think y'all heard me tonight. To encourage is to put courage in. To instill someone's heart. To fortify. To instill courage and boldness and strength. And so Paul is encouraging, Paul is putting courage in to their hearts through, through prayer. prayer. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged. Father, I pray that citizens, youth would have courage, that they would stand boldly for Jesus. Amen. So he prays that this community would be marked by encouragement. Look what else he says. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And so the second thing that Paul's praying for here, he's praying for unity. I pray that they would be knit together, that they would be united. Oh, that you would be a community, citizens, youth. Oh, that you would be a community free from the pettiness, free from the drama, free from the hostility that so frequently plagues high school communities. Amen. 
Oh, that you would be a community marked by genuine unity. My definition of community, common unity. (laughs) Write that down. (laughs) But I don't want you to just be united around a common interest. I don't want you to just be united around a common hobby. I don't want you to be united about your gender. I don't want you to be united about your nationality because none of those things matter. I want you to be united about the fact that God loves you. I want you to be united about the fact that both of you are precious children of God. I want you to be united in love. I want you to unite. God loves you and God loves you, both of you. So unite. Well, we have a matter of difference. What difference is there? You're both loved by God. Everything else is a detail, okay? United in love. And you know why I want you to be united in love? Something cool happens here. The third prayer builds off of the second prayer. I want you to be united in love because when you do that, when you experience that, there's something that you can reach here, okay? You can reach all of the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. God bless you. You will reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. His third prayer here, pray that you would have understanding. This is him praying again. I pray that you would get it. When me and you are united together, we can learn. We can grow in our understanding. When me and my brother Hayden here, when we're united together and we're doing life together, just like an archaeologist, we can go in. We can dig together into the riches of God's word and we can find treasure. We can find riches here the riches of understanding. That's why we're not going to camp as individuals. That's why we're going to camp as cabins because together we can find this treasure. In Christ is all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. So we need to be united so that we can dig together and receive understanding. And then the last one he says here, turn the page. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Finally, he ends. I pray for steadfastness. Pray for steadfastness. Students, I'm gonna tell you something here that is sad, but it's true, and it's already happened in my time here. There will be people in your life who are going to say this to you. Hey, pal, come look at this treasure over here. Hey, pal, come look at the treasure over here. No, no, no. Hey, Ashton, come look at all of the value here. No, no, hey, I know that you're trying to stand over there in Christ, but come over here and see the real value. And there will be people, and I've already experienced this with students who are away in college, where their faith has been hijacked where people have succeeded at deluding them and going, well, isn't it possible that maybe there's some value over here? And isn't it plausible that maybe you're being too narrow-minded? And isn't it, you know what you tell those people? You know what you tell them when they try to pull you off track? You say this to them, I have all of the riches. I have all of the treasure of wisdom and understanding that I need when I stand right here, firm in Christ united in love with my brothers and sisters. People are gonna try to convince you that there's treasure other places. It's a lie. In Christ 
is all of the treasure. In Christ is everything of infinite value and worth. And you have this treasure because it's Christ in you. And when your friends are sitting in the cafeteria and they're all saying basically the same thing over and over, where can I find treasure? That's basically all your friends are saying that. They're like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that I think this would be of infinite value to me. Oh, you're saying you think that's treasure. And you have the answer. All of the treasure that we need, all of the riches are in understanding who Jesus Christ is. That's it. So, I'm a man with a mission, on a mission. I'm a man with a message. You are a community of maturity. So what does this make us? How do we define the relationship here, students? What is this? Come on, what are we now? You heard everything I had to say. What are we? Are we, you know, man, men? Are we people, people? What what is this relationship that Paul just described? Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, man, woman. No, no, no. It's actually something beautiful. And it's something precious that I hold very dear. The relationship that we just described is pastor, people. We're in us. We're in us. Students, not even students, leaders. Listen to me. I get to be your pastor. I get to be a man with a message on a mission to this community. So we're a thing. God puts us together. We're a thing. Pastor people. People pastor. And all of this is getting ready to prepare you for the wedding day. Band, you can come on up here. As they come up, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think of the wedding day that we described last week. The day that you will be presented to Jesus. Close your eyes. Close them. (laughs) Everyone, Levi, close them. Close those eyes. I want you to think of that day where you're presented to Jesus Christ, right? Think And just think about a regular wedding, right? You're like, guys are like, I've never even been to a wedding. Ladies, you're like, I've watched a million weddings. But you think about that day. You can't do your hair. You can't do your makeup. You can't do your nails on your own. You can't get dressed. You can't tie your tie. You can't do what you need to do to be ready on your own. And so you have each other to help you get ready. That's nice. But there's another thing you have. There's something else that you have to get ready on that day. And open your eyes. Here's what you have. We have leaders from Jesus to help present us to Jesus. You have leaders from Jesus who have been given to you to help present you to Jesus on that day. And we leaders, me, your pastor, guess where we're going this weekend? Go to camp. Yeah. Danae, did it help? Did today put you over the edge? Solid. All right. And so I want you to stand to your feet, and here's how we're going to respond, okay? We're going to respond. I want you to take 15 seconds. And I want you to just pray a prayer on your own. 15 seconds, and I want you to pray a prayer on your own. And I want you to say this prayer. I want you to say, Lord, help me to have meaningful conversations with a leader this weekend. Lord, speak to me this weekend. Connect me to a leader. 15 seconds, pray that, and then we'll sing.